and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday, June the 22nd, and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, and with permission of the Worcester News. It's Pippa Curtis here again, but this time I'm with my normal team, so I have Catherine sitting opposite. Hello. And Jane sitting next to me. Hello. Phil is on holiday, and John is on the other side of the glass, waving away as our recording engineer. Carol's on copying and admin, and I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our reading, our recording even today. As always, we'll include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then some what's on stories or what's in the local theatre, that kind of thing, followed by headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then we'll finish up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and the birthday file. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch. We'll add you to the file. Obituaries are recorded after the closing music. We love to hear from you. So if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone. That's on 01905 767 766 or just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Jane's going to read to you. Talking newspaper, Colin Chance House, 01905-767-766. Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police, non-emergency, 101. NHS, direct, 111. Out of hours, medical assistance, 0300 123 3211, between 6 and 8pm. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub, 01905-765-765. Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905-768053, option 3. Community Risk Team Fire Safety, 0800-032-1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800-980-3331. Sense Adventures, Walking for Visually Impaired, D. Jones, 01684-891-796, www.senseadventures.co.uk. Samaritans, 116123. Worcester Live, 01905-611-427. Morven's Theatres, 01694-892277. Worcester Wheels for Transport, 01905-450-654, 8.30am to 4.30pm. Link Nurseries at Powick have a session for visually impaired on Friday mornings. Telephone 01905 831 for more information. Thank you. And I will run through some of the things that are coming up in the next week out and about in Worcester or Worcestershire. 
And I'm going to begin with Worcester's Huntington Hall, which is playing host to the acclaimed American vocalist Nell Bryden on Thursday the 29th of June from 7.30pm to 10pm. Tickets cost £24 and are available online or call the box office on 611427. Worcester Outdoor Cinema returns this summer to the race course on Saturday the 1st of July with a showing of the iconic blockbuster Dirty Dancing. You'll need outdoor chairs, appropriate clothing depending on the weather and picnics are encouraged. There are limited early bird tickets at £12 and there's a 100% money-back guarantee should the event not be able to go ahead. For more information and tickets, visit www.cinemaoutdoor.co.uk or call 07790 The Battle of Worcester Society is hosting a talk on Thursday the 29th of June at the Commandery, starting at 7pm. Anthony Rich, who's a member of the Society and also at the Battlefield Trust, will discuss the Battle of Cropreedy Bridge, 1644, which is the exact 379th anniversary of the unsuccessful attempt by Parliament to capture King Charles I. For more information, contact the Commandery on 361-821. And if you're into classical music, the Elgar Chorale of Worcester are putting on a very special concert at St George's Church Hall on the 1st of July. That's St George's in Barbourne. They have got the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire coming with four soloists from the Royal Academy of Music, and they will be presenting Haydn's Nelson Mass and Mozart Vespers. It will start at 7.30pm. Tickets range from nothing. I'm not sure who gets in for nothing, but they go naught to £20. Uh, there are concessions for under-18s, over-60s and bona fide students. They can be obtained from the Worcester Tourist Information Centre in the Guildhall. That's uh, 01905 or from the Elgar Chorale website, which is www.elgarchorale.com. Last but not least, something for younger folk. A special event being held at Eastnor Castle on Sunday, July the 2nd from 10.30am. They're hosting a teddy bears picnic and storytelling event. Just take along your favourite teddy, or perhaps your child with her fa- his or her favourite teddy, sit back and be entertained. So that's it for the week. We'll now move on to the headline stories and Catherine will give you the rundown of all the headlines and then move on to the first story of the week. Thanks, Pippa. So the headline last Friday, June the 16th, was Justice as Alfie's sadistic killers are sent down, evil couple jailed. On Saturday, the headline was Man held for alleged city centre rape. Police arrest 26-year-old man after late-night accusation. On Monday, June the 19th, it was Man wakes up to a trench where his garden was. Tuesday's headline was Parking charge differences are discriminatory. On Wednesday, June 21st, the headline was Attack of the Gulls, Vicious Birds Are Holding Residents Hostage. And today, Thursday, June 22nd, 
its armed officers swoop on heated argument, two arrested after altercation in middle of city street. So I'll start with last Friday's story, Justice as Alfie's sadistic killers are sent down. A mother and her career criminal fiancé have both been jailed for the killing of Alfie Steele. Earlier this week, Dirk Howell of Princip Street, Birmingham, was found guilty of murdering the nine-year-old, while Alfie's mother, Carla Scott, was found guilty of manslaughter. Appearing in the dock of courtroom one at Coventry Crown Court on Thursday, June the 15th, only Scott showed any emotion as they were told their fate. Howell was jailed for life for murder with a minimum term of 32 years. Scott was jailed for 27 years and must serve at least 17. In his sentencing remarks, his Honourable Judge Mark Wall, KC, called Howell a bully and a cruel man with a fiery, uncontrollable temper. And he said Scott had chosen Howell over Alfie with fatal results for her son. The sentencing brings justice for Alfie, who in his tragically short life was subjected to months of harrowing abuse at his home in Vashon Drive, Droitwich. During emotional victim personal statements, Paul Scott, Alfie's granddad, had revealed the family had been divided since the death. He said, I feel like I let Alfie down. The family has been divided by the lies and the deceit. I'm told Alfie's last words were shouting for me. I saw Alfie's lifeless body being carried by helicopter. Since then it has felt like a nightmare. I can't talk about Alfie because it cuts me up. Aliana Scott, Alfie's step-nan, said, Alfie was the life and soul of our family. Our family has been torn apart. The world doesn't feel right without him. Rachel Brand, KC for Scott, and Alistair Williamson, KC for Howell, argued neither of the defendants had been sadistic in the killing. But the judge rejected this, saying there had been a sadistic nature to Alfie's killing. Howell's sentence was for murder, which he had denied, and child cruelty, which he had admitted, while Scott was sentenced for manslaughter and child cruelty, which she had denied. The abuse had included dunking him in the bath under cold water, hitting him with belts and making him stand outside the house in the early hours while cold water was poured over him. The trial had heard Alfie's body was covered with 50 injuries and only a handful were likely to have been caused by normal childhood bumps and scrapes. Scott had tried to cover up the death from the moment she made the first 999 call on the day of Alfie's death in February 2021, claiming Alfie had fallen asleep in the bath. Howell had fled the scene, trying to board a train at Droitwich Railway Station, where police caught him. Howell has spent 22 years of his life in prison, having racked up 32 convictions for 95 offences between 1994 and 2021. The pair, who were known to social services and frequently ignored their orders for Howell not to stay at the house overnight, have shown no remorse in the two years since Alfie's death. Neighbours had tried to raise the alarm. In one harrowing recording by a neighbour, Alfie can be heard hanging, banging on a garden gate as he cried and screamed, let me in. Prior to the sentencing, Vashon Drive residents told us they were hoping they would both get life and throw away the key. 
a multi-agency review has been launched investigating the boy's death, which is set to report back later this year. This is the headline for Saturday, June the 17th. Man held for alleged city centre rape. A 26-year-old man has been arrested following an alleged rape in the city centre. Police said they were called just before midnight on Thursday to reports of a rape in the cross. A police cordon was in place near the entrance to Crowngate Shopping Centre in Worcester yesterday morning. Shoppers reported seeing a forensic van also at the scene. Chapel Walk between WH Smith and the Old Debenhams had a police cordon and officers guarding the area. One eyewitness said it was there from about 7am. Two police officers maintained the cordon which ran between WH Smith on the corner to the entrance of Crowngate. The police tape was removed just before 11am. June the 19th, a man wakes up to a trench where his front garden was. A man received a shock wake-up call after he discovered contractors from a gas provider digging up his front garden and driveway. Frank Farmer of Corn Meadow Lane claims has spoken about his atrocious ordeal with Cadent Gas, who he claims never told him work would take place. Cadent Gas admitted that how they dealt with Mr Farmer was below standard and have apologised. The 67-year-old woke up at 7.30am to banging and crashing outside his property. Cadent Gas has been working on replacing the old gas mains around Clanes and has begun work on Mr Farmer's property. Much to Mr Farmer's upset, he realised workers were smashing through three garden slabs with a sledgehammer all of which his father had placed when he bought the property in 1964. He said, They are irreplaceable. I remember my dad was jumping for joy when he got the slabs and put them in. He wanted to make a good feature for the garage. We had no notification about the work. Cadent dug a large trench in Mr Farmer's garden to replace all the old pipeworks and replace the damage they caused by filling his drive with gravel. However... Mr Farmer said the gravel placed by the gas company smelt like raw sewage and was littered with nails and bolts. Mr Farmer added, I have been a police officer and have seen nasty accidents and if I had got a nail in my tyre and gone down the motorway, the tyre could have popped. My concern is not only was I put in harm's way, but if I was not vigilant, it could have been catastrophic. I think if this has happened to me, how many people in Worcester or the rest of the UK who experienced this? He said that it was pure luck he found one screw on his drive which prompted him to search the gravel. It's been a mess from start to finish, Mr Farmer said. Elliot Nelson, director of Cadent in the West Midlands, said, We've investigated this matter and can confirm that the service we provided fell below the standards we expect from Cadent. We have taken learnings from this and have spoken to Mr Farmer and apologised for any distress this matter has caused. Our teams are keeping in close contact with him throughout the remainder of the works to ensure a positive resolution. Councillor Mel Alcott has taken up the issue and is appealing for Mr Farmer to get compensation. Right. On uh, Tuesday, um, the headline was about parking charge differences. 
An elderly man has labelled the price difference between app payments and in-person payments at a city centre car park as discriminatory. Tony Dean of Chelmsford Drive slammed the parking prices at the NCP Cathedral Square car park, highlighting the vast difference between in-app payments and on-the-day payments. According to the NCP website, parking at the NCP car park for five to six hours costs £5.70 on the NCP app, rising to £11.70 if you want to pay using the parking machines. Mr Dean said, I will always tell the truth and I honestly feel this is discriminatory. I live off a state pension and can just about afford to run a small car. Due to my mobility issues, the NCP car park is crucial for me to access parts of the city centre. But I find it ludicrous that people can get more reasonable charges if they use the NCP app. If people like me cannot afford the initial cost and monthly rates of a smartphone, then we pay through the nose. It's pure discrimination as I see it. The NCP car park has access from Cathedral Square and Friar Street and is popular due to its location at the top of the High Street. Age UK Worcester and Malvern Hills <coughs> recently spoke out about the impact of cashless options at car parks and the effect it has on the elderly. The charity said it had experienced calls in Worcestershire regarding fears about cashless parking, saying they're being digitally excluded. An NCP spokesperson said, We do accept that app payments are not the solution for everyone. However, we do encourage customers to use our app so that they too can benefit from the best deals we can offer at the time. NCP offers a dual tariff board at all our car parks in our leased estate. There are tariffs for roll-up customers that can pay on site and then there is the tariff for customers who use the NCP app. Like many companies, we like to work closely with our customers and our relationship with customers who use our app means that we have the ability to share offers in the future, allowing us to have a better relationship and understand their needs more and enabling those customers to have a more seamless parking experience and save money as well. This can only happen when you have the data on your customers that they provide for you when they sign up to the app. This is There is no difference to... This is no different to many loyalty schemes that are on offer in, for instance, supermarkets or garden centres where loyalty card members get discounted prices from the price on the shelf. And this is the headline for Wednesday, June the 21st, Attack of the Gulls. Vicious nesting seagulls are keeping residents hostage as they swoop down and attack people attempting to leave their homes. Gordon Reed of Sands Road in Barbourne is fearful for the safety of residents and visitors who could be attacked by the aggressive seagulls nesting on his roof. He said, I honestly fear for our safety. I'm planning a barbecue this weekend and there will be young children visiting. The thought of these birds attacking them and scaring them is re- very real. They have come down and tried to attack me and my neighbour several times and have covered our gardens with poo. They're vicious and I have no idea what to do about this. The nesting birds directly overlook both Mr Reed's garden and the neighbouring garden to the left of the property as well. They can be seen overhead circling and loudly squawking to warn people off before dive-bombing. Mr Reed said... I'm not cruel, I don't want them harmed, I just want a resolution. At this stage, I'm going to have to go out and put spikes up there or something similar, as they'll be back again otherwise. 
I telephoned the company who said that they can only intervene once the gull chicks are fledged. I think it's a matter of public health. Ian Palmer, Mr Reed's neighbour, has also targeted by the gulls when trying to get into his garden. He said, luckily I caught this on video. The very moment I stepped out, the gull swooped down and narrowly avoided me while letting out a loud cry. Earlier today, I was getting ready to head out and put on a waterproof hat and coat when the bird defecated on me. Gordon and I are both dog lovers, so it's a concern when our dogs are outside as well. Plus, the weather has been largely really good lately and it makes you want to not to sit in your garden and enjoy it. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said, While we don't have a statutory duty to deal with the gulls nesting on private property, we do our best to offer support to businesses and residents to help make their properties gull-proof. Anyone who has an issue with gulls causing a nuisance can contact Worcestershire Regulatory Services by emailing enquiries at worcesterregservices.gov.uk or calling 01905 822 799. Alternatively, reports may be made online at www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash report dash it. And the headline for Thursday, June the 22nd, armed officers swoop on heated argument. Two men have been arrested after a gang of people got into a heated argument in the middle of a city city street. Armed officers and police dogs were seen in Diglis on Tuesday evening after reports of people arguing in the street. Police cars and vans blocked Mill Street and Diglis Road as officers dealt with the altercation. Concerned people watched on as armed police and officers with dogs flooded the street. A topless man could be seen in handcuffs, flanked by officers. Traffic built up in the area while the incident was ongoing and the the road remained blocked to vehicles. A West Mercia police spokesperson said, We were called to Prince's Drive in Worcester at around 8.30pm on Tuesday, June the 20th, following reports of an altercation between two women and two men in the street. Officers attended and two men have been arrested in connection to the altercation. Enquiries are ongoing. An eyewitness said they saw a man being arrested after arguing with people in the street. There was an argument going on between a few males and a couple of females, they said. The argument ended up getting very heated. Many police came and there was a dog as well, possibly around 10 policemen and women. There were a few armed police as well wearing protective gear. Another eyewitness said she saw a high police presence at the bath at the end of Bath Road on Tuesday evening. Well, that concludes the headline stories for the week, and we'll now move on to some general news stories. And Catherine, I think you're going to begin, aren't you? <coughs> right. Well, if you ever find yourself having to make a 999 call, it's worth remembering this item. Police are asking the public to stay on the line during 999 calls after almost 5,000 calls were abandoned in May. West Mercia Police received almost 20,000 calls last month and 4,791 were abandoned, equating to about 155 abandoned 999 calls every day. This figure is an increase of 100% in abandoned 999 calls compared to May 2022. 
Each time a call gets abandoned, call handlers have to spend time investigating if the person who made the call is safe. Carrie Solomon, Public Contact Chief Inspector, said, With every abandoned call, we need to check on the caller's welfare, which means in some cases we'll dispatch an officer to find them. Our call handlers will try to phone the person back, but if they can't get through, they'll contact their network supplier to pinpoint where they are. We can't assume that the person is okay and every second counts in an emergency. West Mercia Police say that the vast majority of abandoned calls are accidental and improvements to phone and smartwatch software means it's easier to pocket dial. Chief Inspector Solomon said, Phone users usually hang up quickly out of panic and embarrassment, but please stay on the line and let us know you're OK. We understand that accidental calls like this happen to everyone at some point. The key thing is letting us know you're safe. You're not in any trouble. So to help us out, stay on the line and have a quick conversation with our call handler and let them know what's happened. Then we can close the call. We'd much rather spend a couple of minutes on the phone with you than an hour tracking you down. Throughout May, a total of 19,384 calls were made to 999 and 27,918 were made to 101. West Mercia Police were contacted 3,312 times digitally. To report a crime, you can call 101 or use the online Tell Us About form online at wwwwest mercia dot police dot uk forward slash tua forward slash tell us about alternatively you can contact crime stoppers anonymously by calling 0800 555 111 or by visiting the website at https colon two forward slashes crime stoppers dash uk dot org This one is about a scam alert over a couple. There are fears a blonde woman and a man with distinctive eye makeup and denim hot pants may be trying to scam people in an area of Worcester. The woman has been flagging down drivers, banging on people's doors, asking for a lift, giving a number of excuses. Catherine Mulvey from Worcester said she had a bizarre account of encounter with the pair on Tuesday evening. She was driving from Lavender Road towards Tower Road when a young woman flagged her down at the entrance to Gellivault Park and the Duckworth Trust. Mrs Mulvey said she stopped because she was concerned a child had been hurt in the park as the woman seemed distressed. She said, I wound the, w- I wound the window down and she asked where the city centre was, saying she and a man she was with are from London and don't know the city. They didn't have London accents. I pointed them in the right direction and they said they liked my car and then asked if I'd give them a lift. Said they'd pay, but I said I couldn't. She was leaning into my car and I thought afterwards she may have tried to grab my handbag if it had been on the passenger seat. They left to walk in the direction I pointed out and when I came back about ten minutes later I could see they were still hanging about. The woman was blonde, a bit chubby and five feet four in height aged about 18 to 20 years old, wearing grey joggers and a work vest top. The man had short, light brown hair, was slim, about 5 feet 8, and was wearing denim shorts, a crop top and black denim jacket. He also had distinctive eye makeup. 
Mrs Mulvey said, after sharing the incident on the WR3 residents' Facebook page, more people came forward saying the woman has also approached them. She said the stories have changed. In one instance, she said her ex was stalking her and needed a lift into the city centre. Others said she disappeared if a man came to the door. One person shared ring doorbell footage and we could see it was the same person. I wanted to flag it up because I worry they may knock on the door of someone vulnerable and could take advantage of someone. Mrs Mulvey reported the matter to West Mercia Police using the online non-emergency form. We have contacted West Mercia Police for more details, but they have not yet replied. A 26-year-old has escaped a driving ban, arguing special reasons that she was fleeing a domestic violence assault. Holly Milner admitted driving a motor vehicle when her alcohol level was above the limit earlier this year. Milner of Lansdowne Walk, Worcester, returned to Worcester Magistrates Court on Monday, June the 19th, to make her appeal. Sarah Hurd, prosecuting, said Milner had been stopped in a Ford in Castle Street after 11pm on March the 31st, following police initially being called to a domestic incident at Lansdowne Walk. The court heard Milner gave an evidential specimen of 57 mcg and 100 ml of breath, and the legal limit being 35 mcg. Miss Hurd said Milner had been very aggressive in the arrest, showing the police body cam footage at the scene to the court. In the footage, Milner could be heard shouting, Do you think I wanted to drive my car? And the prosecutor said it was accepted Milner had told police she was escaping an assault during her arrest. In the witness box, Milner said she'd had two glasses of wine before her partner had been violent towards her and punched her car window while she was sat in the car. Milner, who defended herself, told the court she'd wanted to get to safety and go to the police station. In cross-examination, Miss Hurd said the prosecution could understand a short-distance drive to escape the situation, but their issue was Milner went on a three- to four-minute drive, including on a main road. The prosecutor asked if she'd considered alternatives at the time, like stopping and asking someone to call police. I wasn't thinking straight. I was scared, the defendant told the court. It is a tough argument to win. You can't justify driving as far as you did, Miss Hurd said. There is no excuse for it, Milner replied. The only thought process was to get to the police station. After lengthy deliberations, Chairman of the Magistrates' Bench, Simon Freeburn, told the defendant they could see she had not been thinking clearly at the time. The chairman said, given her state, it would have been unlikely Milner even considered the distance in the emergency, and for that reason they found special reasons in her case. Milner was not given the usual ban given to drink drivers. The defendant was fined £92 and ordered to pay costs of £135 and victim surcharge of £37, a total of £264. At the end of the hearing, the chairman told Milner, take care in future. Right. Urgent calls for a new pedestrian crossing on a busy road where drivers won't stop have been thrown out as a councillor calls the decision disappointing. Councillor Jill de Serra had requested a light-controlled pedestrian crossing on Windermere Drive near Sainsbury's in Blackpool, but says she has been told by Worcestershire County Council it's not possible. 
Labour's Warnden councillor, whose views were endorsed by some residents, said drivers regularly fail to stop for pedestrians. She's argued that a light-operated crossing would better serve the community, calling the existing zebra crossing terrible. In May, she was backed by resident Stephanie Rawlings of Cranham Drive, who was approached by the councillor after a car whizzed past her without stopping. Reacting to the decision not to introduce the crossing, Councillor de Serra said, It is disappointing but not unexpected that the request for a light-controlled crossing on Windermere Drive has been refused by the County Council. Unfortunately, the year-on-year underfunding of both city and county councils by central government has meant that tough decisions have to be made all the time. Very likely, this is just another of them. However, I would appreciate it if the county council could look into other options that might be cost-effective. Data collected on traffic speeds reported an average of 29 miles per hour in the vicinity of the crossing. This means a significant number of drivers exceed the speed limit there, which would make sudden stopping difficult. I'm wondering if we could have a couple of well-placed road signs to encourage drivers to slow down as they approach this crossing and alert them that it is ahead. Voluntary speed reduction campaigns tell us 20 is plenty in built-up residential areas like Windermere Drive. It's a good guide. Maybe this can be pushed, and I hope that the County Council will look favourably on this further request. We've approached Worcestershire County Council for a comment, but they had not provided one by the time we went to press. This story is about the library in St John's. Worries over library move. Concerns have been raised over a new scheme that will see a city library open unstaffed. St John's Library is part of the County Council's rollout of Libraries Unlocked, which is designed to keep libraries open for longer hours. Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member for Communities at Worcestershire County Council, said, Many of our residents and community groups are unable to visit libraries within the usual 9am to 5pm opening times. He said there had been good feedback from pilot schemes in Droitwich and Starport, where there has been an 85% increase in the number of hours the libraries are open for. But St John's councillors have concerns about the change. County and City Councillor Richard Udall said, Libraries need librarians. At St John's Library, the staff do so much hard work. They are helping library users all day long, especially with technology, finding books and helping residents with information. This will mean children under 16 will not be able to visit the library without an adult. I know many young people visit the library as a sanctuary. They explore literature and use the computers. It's a safe place. Parents know where they are and know what they're doing. The freedom for children to use the library without an adult will be removed. This cannot be a good thing. Councillor Udall also expressed concern for the future of clubs run by library staff and said the proposal should be reconsidered by the council. City Councillor Robin Norfolk said, I have genuine concerns about public buildings being open where there are no staff. I'm a book lover. Growing up, librarians were a, cool part, were a core part of the library experience. At school, during the school holidays, researching homework... The librarian was ever-present and ever-helpful. 
St John's councillors run a regular servitory in St John's Library. And in my experience, the librarians have always been helping someone, be it looking for books or working on the library's computers. I have also have genuine concerns about safety. I can see a commitment to installing CCTV, but that really isn't a replacement for a human being when help is urgently needed. Councillor Hart added, We have been talking to young people and will continue to do so about when they prefer to visit the library unaccompanied, and this is taken into consideration when the staffed hours are planned to ensure these are covered. Young people are also able to use the library during additional hours. The library will be open in the evenings and early in the morning by visiting with a library's unlocked member. And this report is on the Royal Three Counties show, which took place last weekend. The Royal Three Counties show made a triumphant return as thousands flocked to Malvern. The annual farming and agricultural extravaganza was as popular as ever, with more than 6,000 animals, countless food and drink options, and a variety of displays keeping visitors entertained. At the heart of the Three Counties showground, the main arena played host to livestock parades, the Red Devils parachute display team and quad bike stunts from Paul Hannam. Elsewhere, guests could enjoy falconry displays, blacksmith competitions and pole climbing. Alongside the livestock, which included everything from alpacas to pygmy goats, were a host of famous faces. Only Fools and Horses legend David Jason could be seen on Friday filming a new TV show with the repair shop's Jay Blades. Meanwhile, Caleb Cooper spoke about his unexpected rise to fame thanks to Clarkson's farm. JLS singer J.B. Gill opened up about his new life as a farmer. And former England rugby captain Phil Vickery joined celebrity farmer Adam Henson for a chat about the industry. The chairman of Worcestershire County Council, Kyle Daisley, said, I had a great day at the Royal Three Counties show on Friday. Supporting our agricultural sector is key, particularly across Worcestershire. Harriet Baldwin, MP for West Worcestershire, said, Great to show DEFRA Minister Trudy Harrison and Nigel Huddleston our wonderful Royal Three Counties show, and we got to help the sheep shearing. Um, here's a slightly different um, perspective on the same show, in fact. <laughs> Calls to ban hunts from country show. Campaigners have called for hunts to be banned from the Royal Three Counties show. The League Against Cruel Sports, an animal welfare charity, has written to organisers asking them to stop hosting hunts and hounds. The group wants to see immediate action, with the show was set to hold a second parade of hounds on Sunday, June the 18th, following one on Friday, June the 16th. A spokesperson for LACS, that's the League Against Cruel Sports, said... Shocking stories have been broadcast across our TV screens showing incidents related to illegal hunting activity proving that trail hunting is nothing but a sham and a smokescreen for old-fashioned illegal hunting. Statistics for the 2022-2023 season released by the League Against Cruel Sports in April show nearly 1,000 incidents of fox hunts wreaking havoc across the country and this is likely to be just the tip of the iceberg. Hunting continues as it did before the Hunting Act 2004 was introduced. 
It's time for change. It's time county shows stopped allowing hunts to show hounds and parade in front of the public. Please send the Royal Three Counties show a polite email asking it to stop hosting hunts. A spokesperson for the Royal Three Counties show has said they continue to review the events programme but stated that all activity promoted is within the law. They said, as an organisation that supports the rural community, Three Counties Agricultural Society are aware that there are a range of contentious subjects which many on both sides of the discussion are passionate about. Three Counties aims to take a balanced and inclusive approach and in doing so regularly reviews such matters. We acknowledge that people within the communities we support will have different viewpoints on rural issues. We encourage people to be respectful when engaging in conversations or debates, whether they're conducted on social media, over email or at our shows. All activity promoted by Three Counties Agricultural Society is within the law. If we become aware of a legal issue about an organisation or individual, the matter is rigorously reviewed. And this is A Warrior's Dream Comes True. A man told that he only had months to live has achieved his dream of accompanying his granddaughter down the aisle on her wedding day. John Adams from Drywitch Spa is known as MMD Warrior and Sir John after being diagnosed with motor neurone disease. He was told he had a maximum of 18 months to live in 2017. But since his diagnosis six years ago, he has become a well-known member of the MND community thanks to his fundraising efforts. And ever since Mr Adams' granddaughter, Emily Lovell, got engaged about two years ago, it has been his dream to accompany her down the aisle. Wedding guests were left in tears as the pair made their way down the aisle at Burt's Morton Court in Morven on June the 3rd on Emily's big day. A Helen Millward, John's daughter, said when she got engaged, the first person she told was her granddad. She asked him to give her away about two years ago. He didn't think he'd make it, but he fought through everything and everyone was in tears, to be honest. She chose a beautiful day and the sun was shining. He was in absolute bits. I never thought he'd see that moment. It was very emotional. While Emily was growing up, I was at work during the summer holidays, so she spent a lot of her time with him, so he's a huge part of her life. I saw his reaction. He can't put his hands together properly, but he was still clapping. It's a moment I will remember for the rest of my life, and it made Emily's day extra special. Mr Adams' charity efforts have been caught the attention of many people, and he received 600 birthday cards from across the world last month. Mrs Millward and Mr Adams were emotional as they read the copious amounts of birthday cards that were sent, including from as far away as New Zealand, Australia and Canada. Well, this article is about the new bridge that's being put up in Worcester Footbridge, I hasten to add, and there's some very good photographs alongside showing the uh, progress. These photos show work in progress. Work is progressing fast on a new bridge in Worcester with diggers and other heavy machinery operating on the site. Large parts of Gallivant Park in Barbourne in Worcester are now sealed off from the public as construction work proceeds apace on the Keypax Bridge. The bridge will link the park to the former Keypax landfill site on the other side of the river in St John's, connecting the communities. Although the bridge itself has yet to be put up, the site is a hive of activity. 
sealed off from park users by a chain link fence and signs warning park users that it is a construction site and for park users to keep out. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council has described the bridge as a welcome addition to the popular riverside route, allowing users to enjoy a figure of eight route along the River Severn. The route will take in the Diglis Bridge, which has had over three million users since it was opened in 2010. That's in the south, and then to the recently refurbished Sabrina Bridge near the city centre, and then this new bridge in the north and back again. Work is scheduled for completion towards the end of 2024, subject to no significant delays such as flooding. Planning permission for the bridge was granted a year ago and work on the project began in earnest in October. In March, the County Council's project manager for the bridge, Mark Mills, said, Recent work on site has focused on the construction of new foot and cycleways leading up to where the bridge will be positioned on both sides of the river. New temporary access roads have been constructed and preparatory works have taken place ahead of foundation works. Construction of the bridge is hoped to help boost the city's active travel rating, which was ranked at zero, meaning it didn't meet the minimum criteria of political leadership to boost walking and cycling. Right. An eyesore pub could be turned into flats. An eyesore former pub next to a busy city route could soon be converted into flats at the third attempt, despite concerns about nightmare parking. New proposals could see the dilapidated Crown and Anchor in Worcester's Hilton Road revived as new flats as parts of plans by WXSPI. Worcester City Council's planning committee meets in the Guildhall on Thursday, June 22nd to discuss the work with a recommendation from the council's planning officers that despite the concerns it is given the go-ahead. Some neighbours spoke out against the plan, saying that parking in the area is already a nightmare and adding more flats without parking spaces would make a bad situation in one of the busiest routes in and out of the city worse. Others have welcomed the transformative plans for the former watering hole, saying they would be happy to see the back of an eyesore that's been left empty for several years. Planning officers at the City Council said it would be difficult to turn the plan down over parking fears around the former pub because of double yellows on both sides of Hilton Road preventing potentially disruptive on-street parking. One objector to the plan, Gaynor Slade of Hilton Road, said it would be naive to assume that no parking would not cause problems. However, David Olshevi of Henwick Road praised the plan, saying the current mess could prove to be an attractive addition to Hilton Road if approved. There is a massive need in Worcester for low-cost, single, one-bed homes, and this application will go away towards that need, he said. Many people these days do not own a car, and the location is excellent for walking into town and all neighbouring facilities. A plan to demolish the former pub to make way for a new three- to four-storey building with six apartments was rejected by Worcester City Council more than a year ago but the new plan would see the pub stay in place and converted into seven flats. Council planners approved a plan to convert the pub as part of plans to build six new flats in 2018, but the work was never carried out. Woman dies after blaze. A woman has died following a suspected gas explosion in Worcester. 
Emergency services were called to a house fire in Mayfield Avenue just after 10pm on Tuesday, June the 13th. Neighbours told how residents had bravely fought their way into the house in a bid to rescue the woman in her 90s and the fire service said she was pulled from the building before they arrived at the scene. West Mercia police said the woman died in hospital on Wednesday morning. A spokesperson said her death is not being treated as suspicious and has been handed over to the coroner. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said that two crews from Worcester and one from Droitwich had attended. The incident involving a fire which involved all the ground floor of a semi-detached two-storey house. Two firefighters wearing breathing apparatus fought the fire using a hose-reel jet. This was a suspected gas explosion and cadent gas attended along with the police. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesperson said we were called at 10.13pm to an incident at a private address on Mayfield Road, Worcester. One ambulance, a paramedic officer and a Midland Air Ambulance critical care car attended. And upon arrival we found an elderly woman with serious injuries. She received treatment at the scene and was conveyed to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Neighbours said people from all over the street came running to help after hearing an explosion. Some are reported to have kicked down a door in order to get inside the burning building. Firefighters remained at the home until after 1am, with staff from Cadent Gas also on site. Police remained on site until about 5am on Wednesday. An inspiring litter-picking group are up for a national award after making a difference in their community. Warnden Wombles have reached the finals for the BBC Make a Difference Green Award. Founding Womble, Sarah Murray, said, This is the best news. Warnden Wombles are community volunteers who make a huge difference to the natural environment, to local wildlife and to each other. Litter impacts on humans because it ruins our experience in nature. Animals are in danger because they ingest litter and when litter finds its way into our rivers, it massively impacts on ocean life. Our whole ecosystem is affected by litter and Warned and Womble's regular litter picks have made gigantic strides in improving their own and surrounding areas. Sarah said that she was hugely impressed by the number of people who litter pick in the area. Warned and Wombles sometimes struggle to find any litter and have started to spread the love further afield, she added. We hope we will inspire more and more people to join our numbers and help to make Worcester a better place for residents and wildlife. The Make a Difference finals will be held on September the 14th at West Midlands Safari Park. I'd love to know what they'd have to do to win the prize. Over to you, Catherine. Here's a warning to pet owners. A puppy nearly died after eating a Sunday roast. Daisy the Border Collie was just 12 weeks old when she became seriously ill with a high temperature, accelerated heartbeat and vomiting. Staff at Seven Vets discovered small pieces of tin foil in her stomach which she had ingested while tucking into the leftovers of a roast. Daisy is now back home in Dines Green, Worcester with her owner Megan Brooks who has vowed to keep any leftovers well out of reach in the future. Megan said, We'd had roast pork for Sunday lunch, and I left the bin out, which is something I never usually do, and Daisy put her head in and pulled out a piece of tin foil that had covered the joint. 
I took it away as soon as I saw her licking it, but didn't realise she'd swallowed some. It was only a small piece, and it's scary how much damage it caused. She continued, It was a big decision to go through with the surgery, because I'd only had Daisy for a week when she became poorly, but she's quickly become part of the family, and I would be lost without her. Daisy was so poorly, and the team at Seven Vets was brilliant. She wouldn't be here without their amazing vets and nurses, and I can't thank them enough. Megan rushed Daisy to Seven Vets Tybridge Surgery in St John's after she became ill at the end of April. She was transferred to the Worcester Veterinary Hospital in Warnden Villages, where she was given painkillers and medication to stabilise her while tests were carried out. An ultrasound scan identified a problem in her intestine and Daisy was immediately taken into surgery. Vet Chan O'Connell said Daisy was suffering from intussusception, where the intestine folds in on itself, causing a dangerous blockage that prevents food travelling through the digestive system. Mr O'Connell said Daisy's case was very serious. She had two intussusceptions, and one was particularly severe because it involved around 30 centimetres of her intestine. It is very painful and can be fatal if not caught early enough. But luckily, Daisy's owner brought her to us as soon as she noticed her pet was ill and we were able to diagnose the problem quickly. And this is a risk of more deaths. The suicide of a Worcestershire man may have been prevented if two NHS trusts did not have a breakdown in communication, a report has been revealed. And a coroner has warned... There is a risk of more deaths if action is not taken. Nigel Harper, who lived on the outskirts of Malvern with his sister, died from an overdose in July 2022. He was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital where he died. A Prevention of Future Deaths report found Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, HWHCT, and Gloucestershire Health and Care, NHS Trust, GHCT, could have prevented his death. It revealed the breakdown in communication between the two trusts led Mr Harper to not receive an urgent medical health assessment and therefore not receive the support he needed. The senior coroner for Worcestershire, David Reid, said there is a risk of more deaths happening in a similar manner if nothing is done. An HWHCT and GHCT spokesperson said they expressed their deepest sympathies and will work together to ensure another possibility like this does not arise again. In July 2022, Mr Harper attended the emergency department at Gloucestershire Royal Hospital, where it was recorded that he was very anxious, distressed and voicing ongoing thoughts of suicide. The nurse called Worcestershire Crisis Team to arrange care from the county's home treatment team and hoped the call would would prompt an urgent assessment on HWHCT's behalf. However, the crisis team in Worcestershire were unaware this was a referral for an urgent assessment and request for the home treatment team. As a result... The urgent assessment was not arranged for Mr Harper and his case was only considered by the home treatment team in Worcestershire when his GP voiced concern about his welfare and sent a separate referral. A spokesperson for Gloucestershire Health and Care NHS Foundation Trust, 
and Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, said, we'd like to express our sympathies to the family of Mr Harper and everyone who knew him for their loss. We've received the coroner's findings and we will work together to ensure we take any steps necessary to minimise the possibility that a similar situation arises again in line with the ruling. Student golfers are raising money for charity by taking on a fundraiser of tackling 72 holes in one day. The team from the King's School Worcester are assembling to take on the Longest Day Golf Challenge at Ombersley Golf Club to raise vital money for Macmillan Cancer Support this Saturday, June the 24th. Calling themselves Hole in One, and that's W-H-O-L-E, they decided to take part in the challenge as they're all part of families who've been affected by cancer and the charity is close to their hearts. The team will take on 72 holes in one day, starting their first round at sunrise, completing the final round at sunset, covering more than 20 miles and all while carrying their own golf bags. Speaking before the event, hole-in-one team captain Todd Pinner said, We're really excited about taking on this year's Longest Day Golf Challenge. It's great to get a group of pals together, play some golf and raise money for Macmillan to help people living with cancer all at the same time. I want to thank everyone who's supported us so far and is helping to make it a success. To support Hole in One, you can search for them on the Longest Day Golf Challenge website. <clears throat> Multi-million pound improvements for the city centre are set to move on to the next phase. Work is going on in Worcester city centre as part of the £17.9 million secured from the future High Street Fund. The next set of improvements on Fourgate Street will include a new natural stone paving and the signalised pedestrian crossing. The funding is to revamp the pavements and public spaces and also includes grants to revamp the Scala Arts Centre. Improvements at Angel Row, Angel Place, St Swithin Street, Trinity Passage and The Cross have been completed. The most recent improvements include Trinity Street and St Nicholas Street and ongoing works on the foregate near McDonald's are expected to be completed soon. Councillor Mark Bayliss, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member with responsibility for economy, infrastructure and skills, said, I'm delighted to see that the improvements are being delivered to such a high standard and to the expected timescales. The works so far have made a huge difference to the appearance of the city centre and I look forward to the next phase starting soon. This major investment in the heart of Worcester brings benefits to local retailers, businesses, residents and visitors alike. The project will contribute significantly to the sustainability of our local economy and long-term viability and prosperity. Shane Flynn, Worcester City Council Director of Finance and Resources, said the funding is also supporting significant improvements in the area around Angel Street and the Cross, including grants to improve buildings in the vicinity and the anticipated regeneration of the Scala Arts Centre, all of which will provide an important boost to Worcester's economy. Work is expected to finish by spring 2024 to allow a long break over the Christmas fair and to allow Christmas shopping to take place undisrupted. Now the plan for flats being turned down at Shakey's in Angel Street, Worcester 
a plan to convert the empty floors above a busy late-night city centre takeaway into flats has been turned down for the, count- for the council because they'd be too small. The owners of Shakey's Heaven in Angel Street, Worcester, applied to convert the space above the takeaway and shisha bar into one- and two-bed flats, but the move was thwarted by planners at Worcester City Council, who rejected the plan for not meeting size standards. City Council planners said the proposed two- and one-bed flats, which measure 33 and 35 square metres respectively, would be undersized and would not meet the 39 square metres standards. The proposed two-bed flat, which should be at least 61 square metres, would only measure almost 48 square metres. The report outlining the council's planning officer's recommendation said the benefits of allowing the flats were insufficient to outweigh the harm that would cause, calling, causing the plan, calling the plan inappropriate. The council's planning officers also said the lack of information in the application on how the flats would be protected from late-night noise in Shakey's below and the rest of Angel Street meant the work would not be backed. A report outlining the objection said the application fails to demonstrate that future occupiers of the development would not be adversely impacted by the noise and disturbance from the existing ground floor premises. Angel Street is one of the city's centre's busiest late-night spots, with hundreds using the area's takeaways and fast-food restaurants after bars and clubs have closed. Shakey's currently opens until 5am every day. A statement included with the application by Aftab Latif, who runs Shakey's, said the flats should provide a long-term solution for the mostly empty building and give it a new lease of life. The building has been lying vacant for a few years and the proposed alterations and refurbishment will facilitate long-term sustainable solution and is considered to enhance the character and appearance of the conservation area, it said. The facade of the building largely remains unchanged and the implementation of current proposals would ensure that the property is retained with retail use at the ground floor and residential use on the upper floors, which will give a new lease of life to the building and will be an important contributing fact to the sustainable regeneration of Angel Street. So this is a heartwarming article and there's a lovely picture of 12 women um, in the photograph above it. And it says here at the Worcester News, we were contacted by a group of ladies who have been friends for an amazing 70 years. They sent us this following write-up and pictures from their regular meetups. Every six weeks, a group of ladies meet, usually at the Bull Inn at Fernal Heath, to renew special friendships that were formed 70 years ago. The coordinators of these luncheons are Christine Ball, nay Ritchie, and Bernadette Orr, nay Lippitt. To celebrate these long-standing friendships, a special lunch was held at the Crown at Hallow, Worcester, on April the 18th. Everyone enjoyed delicious food while seated on beautifully decorated tables, all to mark this special occasion. The ladies were all former pupils of St George's Roman Catholic School in Sansom Walk, Worcester. Sadly, the school has now been demolished, but the church remains, and a St George's primary school has been established in Barbourne, and this has continued to flourish.
The ladies all started school in the early 1950s at the age of five, when their head teacher was a nun known as Mother Columba, who was supported by a teaching staff including Sister Angelina, Miss Nugent, Miss Goodliffe, Mr Yeo, Mr Stoker and Miss Flexman, to name but a few. The former pupils went on to forge successful careers after leaving St George's, but all of them have now retired and are enjoying their regular relaxed luncheons at the Bull Inn, where many funny stories and reminiscences are enjoyed. The group would welcome any other former pupils of St George's Roman Catholic School who might wish to join them. Here's a reminder. Just a few days remaining to get a Covid jab. Worcestershire residents without any form of protection against Covid have just a few days left to get vaccinated. After Friday, June the 30th, the first and second doses of the Covid-19 vaccine, which are needed to build an initial immunity to the virus, will no longer be available. The spring booster vaccine, which has been offered to older people and those at an increased risk of falling seriously ill from Covid-19, is also being withdrawn after this date. In future, the COVID-19 vaccine will only be offered to targeted groups of people during seasonal vaccination campaigns, such as that which is due to take place in the autumn. People who were eligible for a spring booster vaccine, such as those over the age of 75, will be able to have another top-up dose in the autumn, which will help keep immunity levels strong during the winter months. If a person without protection moves into an at-risk group, the offer of a first or second dose will reopen with the seasonal booster programmes. Information on when this next booster will be available, as well as details of how to book an appointment, will be provided directly to those who are eligible later in the year. To book an appointment or for more information, visit Herefordshire and Worcestershire reccg.nhs.uk or swhealthcare.org.uk forward slash covid vaccines. A speeding motorist has avoided a drive ban. A husband caught speeding has escaped a driving ban because he is caring for his terminally ill wife. Anthony Underhill, who admitted the the offence, was not disqualified from driving after he was caught speeding in Martley Road, Broadheath. Magistrates accepted the totter needed his licence to take her to hospital appointments and to the coast. The 61-year-old was behind the wheel of a Peugeot, clocking speeding on September 14th last year, breaking the 30-mile-an-hour speed limit. Because of previous motoring offences, he was at risk of a driving disqualification as a totter, which means 12 punitive points or more. When the case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court on Wednesday, June the 14th, no totting disqualification was made because mitigating circumstances were identified. Magistrates felt the ban would have an impact on his wife, who is terminally ill. A court spokesperson said... You are responsible for taking her to all her doctor's appointments and collecting prescriptions, which will be difficult to do on public transport. You also drive her to the coast for the benefit of the salt air. You would also lose your employment if you were to be disqualified, and this would have an impact on your ability to pay for rent and other household expenses. Underhill of Hawford Avenue, Kidderminster, was fined £40, agreed to pay 
a victim surcharge of £16 and caused costs of £110. A collection order was made giving the courts extra powers to recover the money. His driving record was endorsed with three points. The defendant's guilty plea was taken into account when imposing the sentence. A derelict pub, formerly known for its carvery, has officially been sold and new exciting plans have been revealed for its future. The former Raven on Droitwich Road will be transformed into a gastropub with a separate drinking and dining area and a private dining room. Plans also show the former soft play area being turned into a separate function room for events like weddings and birthdays. The view from the upstairs of the property will also be enhanced by installing a beer garden. Behind the venture is the Good Host Group Limited, a family-run pub business set up by siblings Frankie, Patrick and Jonathan Owen, who already have another two pubs under their belts. The Good Host Group Limited owns the Tardy Big in Redditch and the Winged Spur in Henley and Arden. Miss Owen said, <coughs> It feels great. It's really exciting and the property has a lot of potential. We were attracted to the property as it's on a busy road with footfall and is in the heart of the community, which is what we look for in our pubs. We look forward to meeting everybody when we officially open. Miss Owens added the new name for the pub has yet to be set in stone, but they were thinking of naming it The Claims to honour the pub's location. The Raven pub has remained abandoned since 2019 after the owners decided to close its doors for good. Miss Owens said the siblings had tried to purchase the property two years ago, However, another buyer placed a higher bid. It was only when they saw Councillor Mel Alcott appealing for someone to take over the pub through Worcester News that they realised it was still for sale. Councillor Alcott was invited by the new owners to look round the former establishment on Monday before they they underwent their major refurbishment. She said, It was lovely to go back in time. I was really excited to be shown round and felt as though I shouldn't have been there because it was closed for so long. It was quite emotional, knowing that a building that has been empty for so long has avoided going into disrepair and will now help the local economy. Work is set to start on the refurbishment next week and Ms Owens estimated it could take up to six months for work to be completed. Here's a story about two Worcester women honoured by the King. A cyber security specialist and a professor who's worked to prevent suicide among students are among the county people recognised in the King's first birthday honours list. Lisa Ventura from Worcester has been awarded an MBE for services to cyber security, equality and diversity. She is a cyber security specialist whose career spans over 23 years in the industry. Mrs Ventura is an advocate of all things related to neurodiversity after she was diagnosed as autistic in 2018 and with ADHD and BPD traits in January 2023. She is also a former erotic fiction writer. After finding out she was being given an MBE, Mrs Ventura said she was shocked and could not believe it was happening. She said... I had no idea what it was until I opened the letter. I still couldn't believe it, and I still can't. I can't put into words what this means to me. It means the absolute world, and it's a dream come true. It is such a huge honour to be recognised in this way for the work I do. Mrs Ventura was not sure at first if the letter was legitimate when she read, On His Majesty's Service, on the envelope. Being in cyber security, I was worried it might not be legitimate. So I called the number listed on the letter to be on the safe side, and sure enough, it was indeed legitimate. You can't be too careful. 
Meanwhile, Professor Joe Smith, whose mission is preventing the suicide of students, has been awarded an OBE. Professor Smith specialises in early intervention and psychosis at the University of Worcester and has dedicated years to tackling severe mental health problems, particularly in young people, and more recently, student suicide. Professor Smith said, I was shocked and touched to have been nominated and awarded an OBE. I have worked for 34 years in the NHS and 10 years in higher education and this marks a stage in my career that I never imagined I would achieve. This OBE reflects many years of collaborative teamwork and support from many colleagues locally and nationally to achieve the progress that has been made around both early intervention in psychosis services and student suicide prevention. Her compassionate and collaborative approach has earned Professor Smith what her colleagues call an outstanding international reputation in her field. Other people honoured include Clifford Robson, Group Managing Director, BAE Systems, for services to the defence industry from Evesham, and Professor Caroline Mary Series, FRS, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics, University of Warwick, for services to mathematics, she's from Malvern, and Suzanne Aldenall, Domestic Abuse Advocate for services to the victims of domestic abuse. Worcester. And this is the hotel plan decision due. A decision is set to be made on whether work to convert a listed building into a new hotel will be allowed to stay. Pitmaston House in Worcester is finally set to open as a new hotel under plans by Blockworks after years of wrangles between the developer and neighbours over fears that late night revelry had turned the listing building into a party house. Blockworks, which owns the Grade 2 listed building off the Morven Road, had to apply again to Worcester City Council for retrospective permission to build two ensuite bathrooms, work which has already been carried out, and to convert five existing bathrooms into bedrooms. The City Council's planning committee meets in the Guildhall on Thursday to make a ruling on whether the work can stay, with a recommendation from the council's planning officers that the plan is given the green light. A decision was supposed to have been made by the end of April, but an agreement was reached to allow the planning committee the time to decide on the plan at the request of ward councillor Alan Amos. The the owners of Pitmaston House had been battling with the council after gaining permission over gaining permission after its proposal to convert seven rooms into a mix of residential and holiday flats work that had already been carried out was rejected at the end of 2020. The owners were then served with an enforcement notice by the City Council after continuing to open up as a guest house and holiday apartments without the correct planning permission. Last year, a controversial bid to convert the Grade 2 listed building into a hotel was backed by the Council's planning committee, despite long-standing concerns about noise. The decision came after years of complaints from neighbours, who said that shouting, screaming and loud music into the early hours at the short-term let had turned a quiet residential street into a holiday resort in Spain. Blockworks was ordered to cancel all future bookings in March last year, after it was discovered the building did not have the correct planning permission. 
The planning committee meets at the Guildhall from 3pm on Thursday, June the 22nd, which is today. Watch this space. Well, before we move on to the sport, I've got one last story from um, the general news, but it actually is about sport, so it's a nice little segue between the two. A former Worcestershire teacher will become one of the oldest managers at a major international sporting event this summer, at 80 years of age. Dinah Murdy, who taught PE at New College Worcester for 10 years before retiring, before the turn of the century, has been appointed as a competition manager for goalball at the International Blind Sports Federation World Games, which is taking place at the University of Birmingham and other nearby venues between Monday, August the 14th and Sunday, August the 27th. Goalball was created especially for blind and partially sighted athletes and is one of 10 sports at the IBSA World Games, which will see male and female goalball athletes competing for qualification for the 2024 Paralympics being held in Paris. The team game sees players attempt to score goals by quickly and precisely firing a 1.25 kg ball across the court and defending shots from the opposing team using their bodies. This year's IBSA World Games, which are being held in the UK for the first time, will provide Dinah with a chance to use her 35 years of coaching and officiating within the sport to oversee the smooth running of the goalball competition, where around 16 countries will be competing across 136 goalball matches at Coventry Building Society Arena's indoor arena between Sunday, August the 20th and Sunday, August the 27th. She says, although I'm too old to officiate at a high level, I am still teaching the next generation of goalball officials and to be asked to support the IBSA World Games as a competition manager is an honour. Said Dinah, who's officiated at previous IBSA World Games in Turkey and so- uh, Seoul. The goalball competition will have a say on which countries make it to the Paralympics. So there's pressure there as it's my responsibility to ensure that everything from the match scheduling to the officiating is delivered to a high standard. I love making a difference though and that's one of the key reasons I've stuck with goalball for so long. The 2023 IBSA World Games, which RNIB is lead sponsor of, also has the potential to level the playing field for the wider blind and partially sighted community, according to Dinah. Having the World Games on home soil will be super and I hope it's a landmark moment where we can grow the sport further, both from a player and a spectator perspective, she said. I also hope it will lead to a greater understanding from the wider public of what blind and partially sighted people can do. Well, we wish you all the best. Um, And now let's move on to the current sport. Uh, Catherine, if you start us off, please. Here's a story about cricket. The former England international, Ashley Giles, has been announced as the new chief executive at Worcestershire Cricket Club. The decision to appoint Giles was met with unanimous approval from the board. He will begin his role at the start of July. Giles, who's lived in Worcestershire for the last 25 years, has held distinguished positions in other first-class counties and served as the managing director of England Cricket. I'm absolutely honoured and thrilled to join Worcestershire County Cricket Club as its Chief Executive Officer, said Giles. Having resided in Worcestershire for 25 years, having married and raised my children here, I've developed a deep appreciation for the club's rich history and recognise the immense potential for an exciting and promising future. 
I'm eager to make a meaningful, meaningful contribution to the club's growth and success and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to connect with our passionate members and supporters and collaborate with the entire club community to ensure exceptional performance both on and off the field. Giles played 54 test matches and 62 one-day internationals for England before being forced to retire due to a recurring hip injury. He played the entirety of his 14-year first-class career at Warwickshire County Cricket Club. As Chief Executive, Giles will assume the role of overseeing the comprehensive management of the club and effectively managing key club relationships and partnerships in conjunction with an impressive executive team. This team includes Sarah Gyers, Head of Finance, Joe Tromans, Head of Commercial and Partnerships, and Helen Greyer, Head of Operations. Chairman at Worcestershire, Fanor Hira, added, On behalf of the board, we're delighted to welcome Ashley Giles to our club as our Chief Executive Officer. His unparalleled expertise and exceptional track record in cricket administration make him the definitive choice to lead our organisation into a transformative era. We possess utmost confidence that his dynamic leadership and unwavering passion for the sport will serve as indispensable assets in propelling us towards success on and off the field. Giles will play a pivotal role in driving the development, enhancement and growth of cricket within the club. He will also provide invaluable support to the coaching teams across the men's and women's senior squads, academy and pathway, ensuring that Worcestershire County Cricket Club remains at the forefront of cricket development and excellence. And this one's about football. Worcestershire Raiders have confirmed the signing of former Malvern Town and Worcester City forward Joe Bates for the 2023 and 24 Hellenic League Premier season. Bates scored 19 goals for Malvern Town in their promotion-winning campaign in 2022-23, but fell out of favour at Malvern in the last couple of months. The striker went on to play a game for Worcester City under boss Chris Corns towards the end of the, of the 2022-23 campaign and was also involved in the City Reserves. But he has now joined City's local rival, Raiders, with manager Carl Gormley and Malvern, former Malvern Town defender Jay Saunson. On completing the signing of Bates, Gormley said, As soon as we knew Joe Bates might be available, we jumped at the chance to get him through the door. We've already seen plenty of him at Malvern Town and he's always done really well against us. Joe is a winner who has the experience of getting promoted from this league. So I'm over the moon at getting this signing over the line. Having spoken to Joe, I knew he would fit in well with our lads and we can't wait to get to work with him. Bates, who had a couple of stints with City before joining Pershaw Town and then Malvern in recent years, played a big part in helping the Hillsiders to promotion. He scored a crucial goal against Raiders in Malvern's entertaining 3-2 win at Six Ways at Christmas. A late penalty plunged the dagger into Gormley's side's promotion hopes at the time in what was a thrilling contest between the two sides. But now he will be on side to attempt to guide Raiders to promotion from Step 5 and into the Southern League. He will join an already packed attack with the likes of Jordan Murphy, 
Isaac Cooper and Bailey Fuller. Well, New Zealand International and Worcestershire Rapids overseas signing Michael Bracewell, we're talking cricket, sorry, I should have said that at the beginning, has been ruled out for the remainder of the cricket season after rupturing his Achilles. Bracewell had to retire injured during the Rapids' vitality blast defeat to Yorkshire Vikings last Friday, and it is now the severity of that incident has been confirmed. New Zealand cricket has officially announced that all-rounder Michael Bracewell will be sidelined for a period of six to eight months after rupturing his right Achilles tendon while batting for Worcestershire. He will undergo surgery this week in the UK before beginning a rehabilitation process that's likely to rule him out of the game for a period of six to eight months, which means he will miss the ICC World Cup later this year. Expressing his disappointment, Worcestershire head coach Alan Richardson added, It's always disheartening when a player suffers a severe injury and our thoughts are with Michael during this time. We wish him a swift and successful recovery. Right, here's a story about rugby. Former Worcester Warriors Academy products, Finn Smith, Ted Hill and Ollie Lawrence, have been named in the latest England training squad for the upcoming 2023 Rugby World Cup later this year. Smith has been added to the group by head coach Steve Borthwick after being involved in the Gallagher Premiership semi-finals with Northampton Saints. He joins fellow Worcester boys Hill and Lawrence for the upcoming training week in Brighton. The 21-year-old fly half has had a stellar season with Saints following his move away from six ways last year. He helped them to a top four finish and ended the 2022-23 campaign with 144 points in total. Smith was part of a reported battle between England and Scotland last year because he has a Scottish grandfather. But Smith played for England at under-20 level and this will be the second time in camp with the senior England set-up, having been involved in other training camps. The Warriors Academy product joins old teammates at Worcester in the camp, former Captain Hill and Centre Lawrence, who is dealing with a slight injury picked up last week in the first training week of the summer. After an excellent first week's training, we're very much looking forward to being in Brighton, said Borthwick. We're pleased to welcome players from Northampton Saints and Leicester Tigers, who can now start to integrate themselves into the group. And we look forward to players from Sale, Sharks and Saracens, joining us in a fortnight. The first phase of our preparation continues to focus on ensuring the players are physically equipped for what we need to do in a World Cup campaign. That means the training will be tough and purposeful. The players are rising to the challenge. We'll work hard again this week and we'll enjoy some time together off the field too, which is also an important part of our preparation. And this one is about cricket again, but... Alan Richardson was singing the praises of his Worcestershire Rapids players following their six-wicket victory over Leicestershire Foxes in the T20 Vitality Blast on Sunday. The comprehensive win ended a run of four straight defeats in the competition and lifted the Rapids to fifth in the North Group table, just two points off the top four sides who all sit on 12. The Foxes started the game well, reaching 67-1 to after seven overs, but were skittled for just 112 runs as the rapid spin bowlers turned the contest on its head. Usama Mir recorded T20 career best figures of 4-22 to and captain Brett Oliveira 
2 to 17. And Mitchell Santa, 1 to 22, contributed to the damage inflicted on the foxes. The Rapids then took their time with the chase and never re looked really troubled, using just four wickets on their way to the total, with Captain Dolivera scoring 51 not out to maintain his impressive recent form. Richardson also pointed out his skipper for particular praise as he continued to have a brilliant season in both T20 and red ball cricket. He should take a great play pride in his performance today, not only just as a player, but also how he led the boys as well. Further to that story, it has hotted up briefly. Consecutive wins, so there's been a second game since that one against Leicestershire. Consecutive wins in the T20 Vitality Blast have put the Worcestershire Rapids back on track for the quarterfinals, sitting third in the North Group table. Sunday's comprehensive six-wicket victory over Leicestershire Foxes was followed by another routine win at Lancashire Lightning by seven wickets on Tuesday night, in which overseas signing Mitchell Santner starred with 49 runs and two for 19 with the ball. The Rapids have now won six and lost four, leaving them two points off rivals and top-of-the-table Birmingham Bears, whom they play at Edgebuston tomorrow night. But first, a new road contest with second-place Knots Outlaws will provide another stern test for the Rapids and the informed Santner. He has said every win counts is in what is an extremely competitive group. So we wish them good luck. I think their match against the um, Nottinghamshire is today, tonight. Mm -hmm. Right, well, that was quite a comprehensive lot of sport. Um, and that finishes our news for the week. But we obviously have the usual things like, let's just get them out, the sunrise and sunset times, which I will give you now. The sun rose today at 4.48 a.m. and it's set at 9.34 p.m. And Jane has the thought for the week, if you'd like to do that. Yes, this is from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Thank you. Birthdays for this week. We have two coming up. Um, we have Duncan Wynn on the 26th of June and Elizabeth Stiles on the 2nd of July. So we'd like to wish both of them very happy birthday for their special days. Uh, just a quick point, um, which I think might be helpful. Non-barcoded stamps, we've now got six weeks left to use them up, should you have any in your possession. It's time to get writing and using them up. OK, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank uh, today's readers, Catherine and Jane and John from behind the uh, screen as engineer. And it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Catherine. Goodbye. And from Jane. Goodbye. And away from John. Have a good week and enjoy the sunshine for as long as it lasts. Goodbye. Smith, Patricia, known as Jean, passed away peacefully at Perry Manor Care Home on the 26th of May 2023, aged 93. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 29th of June at 12.15. 
Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the guide dogs may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Omersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Colourful dress to be worn by request, please. Fox, Sylvia Doreen, daughter of the late Harry and Nell Fox, passed peacefully in her sleep at home in Barry, South Wales, on the 30th of May 2023, surrounded by her sister Brenda and family, aged 93 years. Funeral service will take place at St Barnabas Church, Rainbow Hill, on Friday the 30th of June at 9.30am, followed by interment in Astwood Cemetery. Please feel free to wear floral clothing. Flowers by 5pm on Thursday before the funeral, it's the 29th of June, or donations if desired for the British Heart Foundation may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811. Powell, Arthur Ronald, passed away peacefully on the 4th of June, aged 93. Private family committal at Martley Cemetery, followed by a memorial service at St Peter's Church, Martley, on Thursday the 29th of June at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, with donations to the Injured Jockeys Fund and Midland Air Ambulance. Sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR2, 5BT, telephone 01905-748-811. Jones, Valerie, Sylvia, Anne, known as Sue, passed away peacefully on May the 29th, aged 83. Service to be held at Clane's Church on Monday the 26th of June at 430 all welcome, smart, casual dress, please. Family, fr- family flowers only, but donations if desired to St Richard's Hospice via collection box on the day or via Worcester Funeral Services. Elliot Richard Dursley of Pinvin passed away on June the 6th, 2023, aged 77 years. Funeral service at St Nicholas Church, Pinvin, on Thursday, June the 29th at 11am, followed by a burial. No flowers. Donations, if desired, for St Nicholas Church, <coughs> Pinvin, St John of Jerusalem Eye Hospital Group, or Parkinson's UK Brain Bank, Imperial College, London, may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Caldicott, Anne, of Upper Wolverton Farm, passed away peacefully on June the 14th, 2023, aged 92. A service will take place at the Church of St Edmunds, Stalton, on Monday, July the 3rd, at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations in Anne's memory are invited for MS Society UK. These may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Hand, Philomena, passed away on 31st of May 2023, aged 88 years. Funeral service at St. John's Catholic, St. George's Catholic Church on Wednesday, 28th of June at 12 noon. 
followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Salvation Army may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Skinner, Graham, <laughs> retired Lloyds Bank. Passed away peacefully on 13th of May, 2023, aged 94 years. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium on Wednesday, 28th of June, 2023, at 2pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice, may be left at the service or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748811. Keith Hadland passed peacefully away at home on the 10th of June, aged 84. Funeral service on Friday the 30th of June at St Michael's Church, Salwarp, at 12.30pm. Family flowers only, with donations for Diabetes UK. Brian Hook, also known as Hooky, passed away peacefully on the 4th of June at Perry Manor, aged 78. Funeral to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 26th of June at 11.30. Immediate family flowers only, please. Donations to Alzheimer's Society, www.alzheimers.org.uk. Dedicate donations to Brian Hook. Morris Garfield James Morris of Worcester, formerly of Rochford Tenbury Wells, passed away surrounded by his family on the 30th of May, aged 75. Funeral service will be held at St Michael's Church, Rochford, on Thursday the 29th of June at 12.30pm, followed by interment. Family flowers only. Donations received in memory of Garfield will be given to Rochford Church and the Dogs Trust. Inquiries to A.H. Caldicutt and Sons, Funeral Directors, 15 Market Street, Tenbury Wells, WR 15 8BH, telephone 01584 810281. Patricia Shaddock, Pat, passed away peacefully on the 4th of June, age 93. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 30th of June at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Alzheimer's Research UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester WR 37EU. William Geoffrey Tarran, Bill, of Sneechill, passed away peacefully on June the 9th, aged 81. Funeral service will be held at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Friday, June the 23rd at 2pm. Please wear casual clothing by request of Bill. Family flowers only, please. Donations if desired for the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ.